Welcome to an audio teaching from Windsor Park Baptist Church in Auckland, New Zealand. If you would like to look at the message notes or see some questions for reflection that take their lead from today's teaching, head to our website, windsorpark.org.nz and head to the online tab where you'll see services and series and you can download different resources from there. Thanks for joining us and we hope you're encouraged by today's teaching. If you listened to me speak last week, you will know that I took a close look at a couple of verses, Matthew chapter 6, verse 22 to 23, and how they specifically speak about the notion that what we take into our hearts through our eyes comes back up out of our hearts, often through our mouths or through the way that we email or through the things that we post on social media. The challenge was to think about what are we taking in? What are we taking in through our eyes and into our hearts? Are we taking in the Word of God so that what comes out of us, the way that we speak, the the way that we work out our faith in our lives, does that draw people to God? Or are we taking in other things and spending more time taking in other things so that when it comes back up out of us, maybe it doesn't always honor God? Particularly in the somewhat divided nation that we are increasingly living within. If you didn't listen in last week, I thought it was a super good message, if I don't say so myself. You can always catch up with it by listening on Windsor Park's Spotify channel or on our app or on YouTube or on our websites. Uh, We try to make it easy by having multiple ways that you can catch up on our services and the things that we say. Of course, the thing about taking more of God into our lives through the Bible is that then we are always learning about God. We're always learning about how he has dealt with people throughout history. And then how does that relate to us in our time? The reality is that we never know it all. Taking in what God says to his people is a lifelong journey. While we might know it all, but it'll be on the other side of eternity. I mean, how many of you in your devotional lives have read 1 Kings chapter 2, verse 23 to 24 lately? It says this. From there, Elisha went up to Bethel. As he was walking along the road, some boys came out of the town and jeered at him. Get out of here, baldy, they said. Get out of here, baldy. He turned around, looked at them and called down a curse on them in the name of the Lord. Then two bears came out of the woods and mauled 42 of the boys. I mean, the lesson, be careful about who you call baldy. Also, it sounds like quite a harsh response, let's be honest. And there's a lot more to it if we take the time to look and to learn. Maybe I'll speak about this passage another time. Let me know if you'd like that. (laughs) The point is, the Bible is full of a lifetime of learning. If we take the time to allow it to, to get into our hearts. But if we do do that regularly, and it's more than just on a Sunday, I can give you a money-back guarantee that if you allow the Word of God to change your hearts, good things will come out. More of God in, more of God comes out. Well, today is a a free Sunday, what we call a free Sunday. It's outside of our series that we are currently going through called the Sermon on the Mount. We were supposed to have a guest speaker today that was in our calendar, but because of COVID restrictions, we're unable to to have him with us and we've delayed him until next year. So in place of the guest speaker, you get a familiar speaker. You get me. 
And as I was starting to prepare and think about this free Sunday just a couple of weeks ago, I was praying about what might be relevant for our time. And as any of us who speaks, as we pray about these things, we ask the question, what would the Spirit be wanting to say through the Word of God that we're always learning from? The Word of God comes to us weekly, daily, hourly sometimes. What would He be wanting to say to us? Well, my message today as I have prayed about this comes with a warning. I'm going to call a spade a spade Because I'm thinking about how are we going to be navigating these unprecedented times. And I just wanted to say that word again that's been so used over the last 18 months. But I've been thinking about how we, here here in our church at Windsor Park, are going to deal with the segregation that is about to become part of our lives. And most likely, it's going to become part of our church. The passage that came to my mind in thinking about this and I'm trusting that it was God who placed it in my heart, was Luke chapter 15, verse 1 to 7. And in my Bible, it's called the parable of the lost sheep. The context of this passage is that Jesus is addressing large crowds that are starting to follow him. And at the beginning of Luke 15, there's a smaller group of this larger crowd that were starting to gather around Jesus. Verses 1 to 2 say this, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the Lord muttered, This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. So obviously, those who made the religious laws of the day and encouraged people to adhere to them thought that Jesus was hanging out with the wrong crowd. Well, Jesus then goes on to tell them in response, what we know of as the parable of the lost sheep. And by telling them that parable, he's making a very, very big point. He's saying this, no one is forgotten in the eyes of God. No one. And this is a familiar parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Doesn't he leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep he finds? It's a rhetorical question. It doesn't need answering. And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, Rejoice with me. I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. He's talking about the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. You know, the question that we may never ask ourselves about this parable is this. Why was the lost sheep lost in the first place? Was the sheep resistant to authority? Was the sheep hesitant to be part of the crowd? Was the sheep rebellious? Did the sheep fear for her life? So many questions that don't have any answers because the Bible doesn't tell us. But there is one Big point to the purpose of this parable. Jesus is affirming in this illustrative way that he, that the great shepherd of the sheep, will go after anyone, no matter where they are, no matter how lost they are, because no one is forgotten in the eyes of God. No one. 
Jesus was strongly making this point that, that everyone, even sinners, even outcasts, even the marginalized, everyone is worthy of the love and Jesus pursues them every single time. You know, you might think that you're not worthy of the love of God for whatever reason. You may think that God doesn't even love you. You may think that you've been abandoned. This parable tells the direct opposite of that. And I thought that message was worth sharing to those who may be feeling a little bit isolated at the moment. Those who are feeling perhaps marginalized in these times. But then I read on. Past verse 7, I read verses 8 to 10, which in my Bible, as it is in many of yours, is titled The Parable of the Lost Coin. And for those of you who know it, it's just the parable of the lost sheep with a different context. Jesus is speaking to a slightly different audience, to those who understand what it would be to lose physically a day's pay, which was a silver coin back then, which is why he talks about silver coins. Of course, if, if I lost a day's pay, and I think for the majority of us, if we lost a day's pay, we'd do everything in our power to try and find it. It's bad enough when I lose my FPOS card down the side of the seat in my car. It's very difficult to get it out, and I'll basically destroy my car to get it as I have had to do. If I lost a day's pay down there, the same result would eventuate. It's valuable. And it's valuable for the majority of us. And we'll do whatever we can to get it back. So, so Jesus is just making the same point. Every life has value and is worthy of pursuit and is, and is worthy of the opportunity to experience God's love. And Jesus will go find whatever has been lost. The parable of the lost coin equally is such a great parable. But then I kept reading past verse 10 to verses 11 to 32, which is titled in my Bible, The Parable of the Lost Son. Again, it won't be unfamiliar to many of you. It's a much longer parable, stretching out for 22 verses and tells the story of a rogue son who asks for his share of his father's inheritance before it's due to him. He receives it, father generously gives it to him, and then he goes and squanders it on what is described in verse 13 as wild living. Now again, this parable doesn't describe why the son was so wild. Maybe he didn't trust his father. Even though he had the best intentions for him, maybe he was angry with the world. Maybe life had just dealt him a bad set of cards. It doesn't say. But what it does say in verse 17 is that when this lost son came to his senses when he realized he started the journey back to his home. But again, the story goes on. As many of you know, before he got there, his father saw him coming from a distance and in a wonderful story of reconciliation, welcomed him home with open arms, with partying, with a great celebration, with joy. Now, we won't talk about the other brother's response today. That's another story. The point that Jesus is making is that it doesn't matter if you've gone off and, and done the wild thing. It doesn't matter if you've, if you've rebelled against your father. And the father in this story is illustrative of, of God the Father. He welcomes back everyone. Because 
No one is forgotten in the eyes of God. No one. Now, you know, as I read through all three of these parables, I don't think I'd realized before just how significant a point Jesus was making. I mean, I'd read all three of these parables in my life many times over, but I don't think I'd read them all at once, all in a row. Maybe I hadn't realized that they were all part of just one chapter. They follow each other. Combined, I now call Luke 15 a trinity of ones. Three powerful parables that talk about how Jesus pursues the one. The one person, the lost, the marginalized, the rebellious, whoever it might be, every single life is the focus of Jesus. I learned something in reading this chapter about Luke 15. It's indelibly powerful when we take it as a whole. You see, one of the beautiful things about Scripture, as I said earlier, is that you're always seeing new things when you have eyes to see them. I saw this new thing. Well, here's what I think this trinity of parables, the, the trinity of the ones, is asking us today. Who is the one that we're aware of? And what are we prepared to do to include the one? Now, let me get back to my comments about calling a spade a spade. In the next month or two, we're going to be entering uncharted waters in our generation for how we go about being the church in our time. A government mandate to exclude a certain group of people from certain places that we've taken for granted all of our lives, including the gathered church as we traditionally know it, is new ground for us. I understand the rationale for it, and I'm fully aware of the public health issues involved. And as you know, I read widely. I know a lot of people. We have excellent expertise in our leadership circles in Windsor Park and in the wider Baptist churches of New Zealand and in our wider nation. The challenge for us to navigate, and we have to do that personally as well as doing it as a community of faith, is how do we go about making sure that no one is forgotten, that there is no one person or one small group of people who are forgotten or excluded? These parables put together collectively as a whole show the significance of the ones, people who are on the edges, for whatever reason that might be. God doesn't give a list of exclusions. He doesn't say he'll let them be because they've made their own choices. These parables show that God pursues every one of them. And he'll do whatever he can to include them. He'll do whatever he can to show them that they are valuable, that they are loved, and that they are accepted. The challenge is that I think we are going to have to learn to take on the heart of God over these next few months, maybe over the next year. Well, hopefully we take on the heart of God for all of our lifetimes, but, but you get the point that our current time is going to push us 
in directions that we haven't been pushed before. The challenge is how do we show God's love to all people and make allowances in the way that we live that that demonstrate that for those of us who are followers of Jesus, we take seriously what the scriptures say to us. We we take seriously what John writes in his letters to the church, 1 John 3.16, that says, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. And so these times, as hard as it is to accept, aren't so much about our individual freedoms. To lay down our lives for our brothers and our sisters has consequences, no matter what side of the fence you're looking at this from. I'm simply wanting to lay a platform for us to be thinking about how our attitudes and our actions, about how our words, about how the ways in which we communicate reflect God's heart for the ones. They might be in the minority, but they are just as important and valuable as the majority. So it is with God, and so it should be with us. You know, when Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7, verse 7 to 8, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks, receive. The one who seeks, finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. You know, he was actually talking about the wisdom of God to navigate challenging situations. May that be our prayer. As we seek God's wisdom for ourselves, and for our community of faith, for the church, for our workplaces, and for our wider community and nation. And may we use this time as an opportunity to show that God is, you know, He's alive and He's well. He's with us. He's with our church. And that He is the leader. He is the best at showing compassionate responses to tricky situations. May we be challenged by the trinity of parables that talk about the ones as we think about how we respond to people around us in our families, in our workplaces, in our church, and across our nation. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge that these are difficult times for us. We will have to make decisions that are difficult to make and run the risk of putting ourselves out in relationship with others. Might we reflect on the words of Jesus in Matthew 7? Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. These are words encouraging us to ask for wisdom, your wisdom. So Spirit of God, we pray for our days. We pray for the next month, the next few months, and the next year. That as a community of faith, we will think deeply about the ones. We will think deeply about the minority. That we will do all that is within us to lay our lives down for them as you have laid down your life for us. Help us to think clearly about what that means individually and as a church. And help us to have the courage to own our insecurities and our doubts and our fears and to lay them at your feet. 
We thank you that you are with us. We don't know how we would do this without you being present with us. So we ask for your wisdom to prevail in the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. Thank you for joining our audio teaching today. If there are ways that we can continue to support you or help you in your journey, please reach out to us. Head to our website, windsorpark.org.nz, and you'll find various ways to contact us. God bless.